Let's bring in somebody to uh, warm things up. The morning brief now with <laughs> Preet Banerjee. Nice to have you, sir. Good morning. Good morning, John. Well, let's start with something I was just talking about. Olivia Chow is in line for a pay hike. I mean, it's part of the legislation. It's not like she walked into her office and said, I need more money. So should we be indignant about this? Well, it's a bit of a quandary if the position is that some people are taking is that you're hiking taxes and making life more difficult because the budget is strained. So you should show some solidarity by also taking a hit and declining that raise. But the problem is, by extension, you could be seen as saying, hey, give yourself a raise if you don't raise taxes, even if that means we're creating a bigger problem down the road for everyone that's going to be worse. And so what is the signal that we are sending if we have these expectations? It's a raise in line with inflation. Uh, I don't want to have politicians only run for mayor if they're rich enough to turn down raises, although I think maybe she could. So I don't know. The signaling seems weird. I think she's already said, yeah, I'm probably going to do something about it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I always find this indignation about how much public officials make a bit misplaced because, for example, you know, I won't name the person, but there's a there's a, a cabinet minister I know at the provincial level who could make a million dollars a year and instead is in public service. And it's not indentured servitude, but he is <laughs> actually surrendering some of his earning power. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like us to go back to a point where, we, you know, people looked and aspired to be politicians. They would like statehood. That was like one of the top professions there there was. And now it feels like we're doing everything we can to discourage anyone who's not in the establishment to ever run for politics. So this business of moving Service Ontario into private retail outlets, I think is a good move, but I don't know why it's being done the way it's being done. The latest we've learned is the province is actually going to pay rent for a service Ontario outlet in downtown Toronto for two of them and they're privately owned so why are we paying rent that's a great question because I too am not against service Ontario centers getting subsidies if this is the best way to deliver government services efficiently and cost effectively for the taxpayer but I'd like to know if that is going to be the case who makes the decision as to who wins and who loses why are 11 other service centers getting closed down that maybe could have benefited from you know some kind of subsidy so i think the point is we haven't been given enough answers as to why this particular service ontario is getting this extra sort of you know subsidy because you know having privately owned businesses run these services for governments for better efficiency that sounds good in principle, but it's all the stuff that happens behind the scenes that raises these questions like, well, okay, who is making this choice and why? Yeah, because it's of enormous benefit, I would think, to Canadian Tire. Staples uh, are the two most prominent people in, in this arrangement. Uh, it makes an incredible amount of uh, sense to them, retail-wise, to have a service Ontario outlet. I went to one preet uh, when I had to get some new license plates, and I had to make my way all the way through <laughs> Canadian Tire, and I think I ended up buying some stuff that I saw. So, you know, it's of benefit. I don't know why the province has to sweeten the pot. 
That's interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like grocery stores. They put, you know, the staples like eggs and bread in the furthest corner from the entrance. So we have to go through all the other higher margin sort of items, yeah. right? So maybe the service Ontario will be the furthest away from the entrance. And it is, uh, you know, you can monetize that traffic. In fact, the reporting has sort of said uh, companies are looking for people to help monetize the extra traffic that is going to be uh, afforded to these service Ontario kiosks. We're going to talk with the author of a study at 935 this morning, but we can have some observations on it now. The study suggests that there's no direct correlation between the amount that we spend on policing and the general level of public safety. And that doesn't surprise me entirely, Preet, because it's it's an ineffable, I think. Um, nobody's ever been able to tell me how many police officers do you need vis-a-vis the population to keep the peace. So the idea that how much you spend on policing actually relates to a reduction in crime, I think is, you know, it was assumed. Yeah, I've never seen a formula that tells you exactly this is you need 1,072.5 officers to handle this population in these factors. I'm assuming that there are so many variables involved in this that you probably could never come up with a formula in our lifetimes. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, the police budget is lower than what they had asked for. And they're saying, hey, this could lead to us taking unacceptable risks or a failure to deliver adequate policing. So it's an interesting time to talk to these authors. Um, from what I understand, you know, a lot of the correlates of crime rates could be linked to precursors like socioeconomic factors, the environment, you know, people are growing up in, the current economic state, and so on. And so these other factors, the so-called root causes, maybe that's where we need to spend more time and attention as opposed to what is the size of the police budget. Yeah, it is interesting when you talk about sort of um, cycles of criminality in terms of time. And people have hatched all kinds of oddball theories. There was even one, I'm trying to remember who was responsible for this, but they said that the liberalization of abortion laws in the 1970s led to a reduction in crime in the 1990s because... Yeah, Gladwell. Yeah, you know, because unwanted babies weren't born. And so, yeah, coming up with a means of trying to predict criminality and public enforcement is close to impossible. Yeah, so good luck with that. Um, you know, the one thing that uh, I think does make it more topical is, you know, with the, the recent spike in violent crimes on the TTC that we saw last year, yeah. people were expecting an immediate response, and that immediate response requires budget. So it's a tight balancing act. So MP Carolyn Bennett, who is uh, has resigned and is leaving office, has been named ambassador to Denmark. There seems to be some modest outrage on social media, but... You know, I mean, welcome to the real world. Judges and ambassadors are patronage appointments. Yeah, so this is nothing really new. And in terms of controversial picks, I don't think this one is very controversial. Uh, Of course, it depends on what uh, aisle you're in. But long history in politics, almost 30 years, former family doctor. You know, these seem like pretty good things to have in a patronage (laughs) appointment. I've definitely seen some worse picks over time. And the phenomenon of being bored out, not burned out, but bored out at work. Uh, What do you make of that? (laughs) It's interesting because it tells me that, you know, in some cases, there's just too much slack time, uh, maybe low efficiency. But Google, I don't know if they still run this program, but they had this 
project called the 20% Project, which is basically a day a week. Their engineers were told, you can do whatever you want, be a personal project. Maybe there's something in the company that you find could be done better. You can innovate. Do that on your own time. You don't need to report to anyone on those days. And it made them happier, more productive, and more focused on the other four days on their core tasks. So I wonder if either maybe companies may want to consider that or just reduce it to a four-day work week if they're so bored. There you go. Um, so are you a fan of the idea? There's a tech company I went on a tour of in Montreal and they had, first of all, like, you know, a barista who was designated to serve everybody. There were people going around on scooters. They had foosball tables, ping pong tables, um, areas where you could go and, and take a nap if you wanted to. Do you think that that is productive? I really think it comes down to the culture of the individual organization. I think it can make sense for maybe more creative environments. I don't know if that's necessarily the best environment for all companies and all cultures. So I won't say carte blanche that it's good or bad. I think it has its place, but definitely not every company should do that. Okay. Thanks a lot. Good to have you this morning, Preet. Thank you, John. Preet Banerjee is a personal finance commentator. He's the founder of Money Gaps, so you can learn more about Preet at that website, Money Gaps.